Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Welcome to Expository Preaching Lesson Number 3, brought to you by A.T. Stewart Ministries. I'm your host and teacher, A.T. Stewart. You can go to my website at atstuart.com. You can reach me by email, at at atstuart.com. I provide sermons free of charge that are biblical, relevant, and practical. The purpose of A.T. Stewart Ministry is to glorify God by feeding those who hunger for the meat of God's Word that they might grow into spiritual maturity. In Lesson 3, we're going to look at orders from headquarters as we look at God's mandate to every preacher. This is a ordination sermon that I preached when my son was ordained, and I think you'll understand once you hear the sermon why it fits into lessons on expository preaching. Take a Bible and let's listen to God's Word together. You may be seated. Take your Bibles. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. This morning we will be ordaining to the gospel ministry my son Jesse Stewart. Jesse, as you are entering into the dawn of your ministry, I am in the twilight of my ministry. Forty-one years ago in December, I was ordained for the gospel ministry. So as I look back over my 41 years, and I look forward at your ministry, I can't help but ask, Lord, what would you want to say to Jesse this morning as he stands at the dawn of his ministry? This is very similar to our text today because Paul is writing to Timothy, a young minister. And Paul is at the twilight of his ministry. He is in the prison. And his death is imminent. And as he looks back over his ministry, he says and believes that there are certain things that Timothy needs to know as a young pastor. And today what we see, I believe, are God's marching orders to every minister. And we're familiar with the military and a soldier getting his marching orders that assigns him to where he needs to go and where he needs to serve and what he needs to do. Well, we are soldiers in the army of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're all soldiers. And those who are ministers are called to, you might say, be the lieutenants or to be those who help lead the troops. And we have some very clear marching orders. God has not left the minister, the pastor, for him to figure out on his own what he is supposed to do. God has made it clear. God has made it plain what he has called every preacher to do, his marching orders. And we see these over in chapter 4 of Second Timothy. Stand in respect for the Word of God as I read. 
I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. You may be seated. Now the important thing that we're going to see this morning is there are five different charges that God places on the minister, Jesse. The first one is found in verse 4. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. And then in verse 5, the second one, be sober in all things. The third one, endure hardship. The fourth one, do the work of an evangelist. And the fifth, fulfill your ministry. All of those are in the imperative mood. They are commands. They are orders. Now we are going to concentrate this morning on what I believe to be the first and primary charge to the preacher. And that is to preach the Word. First, let's look at the character of this charge. And that is, it is very serious. God means business when He charges His man to preach the Word. Paul says, I solemnly charge you. Now, this word is only one word in the Greek, solemnly charge. It was in fact used of a general giving orders to those who were under him. It means to give a solemn word, to give a task or responsibility to someone. It means to command, to instruct, to exhort. It is a very serious word. And we can secondly see how serious the charge is by the witnesses that God places here. How important these witnesses are. He says, first, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Paul is telling Timothy, there are two witnesses to this charge that I'm making to you today. God and the Lord Jesus. There can be no more serious or solemn charge than the one given in the presence of the Lord Jesus and God the Father. In fact, the Greek word for in the presence of means in the sight of. So what's Paul telling Timothy? Paul is telling Timothy, God and Jesus Christ are looking at you, Timothy. And they will be looking at you to see if you are faithful to fulfill this charge 
to preach the Word. God is conscientiously watching every preacher to see if he is fulfilling his call to preach the Word. God will be watching your life, Jesse, to see if you are being faithful to this charge to preach the Word. Notice he says also, in the presence of Jesus the Judge. That added another dimension to it. I charge you in the presence of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead. Not only will God and Jesus be witnessing and looking to see if you're fulfilling it, but you will have to stand before Jesus someday as your judge if you have faithfully fulfilled these calls to preach His Word. Now Jesus will come back and He will exercise judgment over all unbelievers. That's called the great white throne of judgment. But Jesus shall also return and he will judge Christians on their faithfulness in serving him. Paul talks about this over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 when he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And that's not the great white throne, that's another judgment seat so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so all Christians will have to stand before Jesus someday and give an account for your activity, your faithful service to him as a Christian. And Jesse, as a minister, you will be called and held to a high standard before the Lord Jesus. He will judge your faithfulness in fulfilling the vow and the call. He will judge how well you have done. Now every time I prepare a sermon, I am aware that Jesus will judge this sermon and I will have to give an account to Him for what I have preached, what I have said. That means the most important thing is to please Him. Now, just as some young pastors make the mistake of trying to please everybody, well, I'll tell you from the outset, that is impossible. Because there will be some people, I don't care if you stood on your head and preached backwards, they would not be satisfied. No matter what you do, they will not be satisfied. And then there are others, no matter what you do, they will be satisfied. Now, like your mama, no matter what you do, she's going to think it's great. But then you have those who sometimes they'll think it's good, sometimes they won't, sometimes they'll be pleased, sometimes they won't. But let me save you from all the consternation. You only have to be concerned about one person being pleased with your preaching, and that's Jesus. You're not going to have to stand before your deacons someday and give an account of your faithfulness to preach the Word. You're not going to have to stand before any congregation someday and give an account for your faithfulness to preach the Word. You will only have to stand before the Lord Jesus and you must give an account to Him if you have faithfully preached His Word. He is the only person you need to please. Paul over in Galatians says, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. When you get ready to preach, when you finish preaching, you ask yourself, Jesus, were you pleased 
with this. Did it please you? Have I been faithful to the text? Have I been faithful to present the truth of God in the power of the Holy Spirit? So not only Jesus the judge, though, but he also says King Jesus is the witness. He goes on to say, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Now, this adds a sense of urgency. Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to set up his kingdom. So now not only are you going to be judged by Jesus, but hey, he's coming back to set up his kingdom, and you need to be found faithful when he comes back. Paul says, if I were seeking to please men, I would never be able to please God. Paul says, Timothy, you must be faithful to preach the Word because Jesus is coming back someday and He's going to set up His kingdom. And where you serve in that kingdom will be determined by how faithfully you fulfill the charge. It's kind of like this, Jesse. You remember in World War II, when the German forces occupied France, there was what was known as the resistance. These were a group of Frenchmen who served in secret to help the Allied forces as they were preparing to come in. Now, this is kind of like the preacher. We're behind enemy lines. We serve the Lord in a hostile environment. We are the resistance. We are to be faithful to proclaim His Word, to fulfill the charge. And then when He comes back someday, just as when the Allied forces came in and drove out the Nazis, those who were faithful in the resistance were rewarded. They were honored by the Allied commanders because they had been faithful to serve. If you faithfully fulfill your charge to preach the Word, when that glorious day comes, when Jesus comes back and sets up His kingdom then He will reward you accordingly and say, Well done, O good and faithful servant. And so it is a very solemn charge, Jesse. A solemn charge witnessed by God Himself and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Judge and the coming King. Now, let's look at the charge. What is the charge? The charge is to preach the Word. This is a command, Jesse. It's not a suggestion. It is a command. Preach the Word. Now, the word preach is the Greek word caruso. And it comes from the Greek word karuks. The karuks was a person that had a job in biblical days. The karuks was the man who went from village to village proclaiming the message of the king. So he didn't have... Telephones, you didn't have uh, radios, you, you didn't have any way to communicate messages over large distances than to send someone to proclaim that message. This was known, this man was known as the Karuts. The king would give him a message, he would go to this village and he would proclaim the message. He would run to the next village and he would proclaim the message of the king there. He would go to the next village and proclaim the message of the king there. He was the Karuks. So when the Holy Spirit is leading Paul to talk about the preacher. He takes this term of the crier and the town crier in colonial America. We had this town crier. He would go and cry the message. And he says, this is what God's faithful minister is to do. Proclaim the message of the king. 
plain and simple. Now, Jesse, the Karuks didn't invent his own message. He preached the message of the king. The Karuks didn't change the message of the king, thinking, well, I've got to make it more palatable. I've got to make it more acceptable to the people, so I will water down the message of the king. No. He didn't alter it. He didn't edit it. He just preached the message of the king. What the king said, he said. He was the messenger. He was a Western Union boy. He just delivered the word. That was his job. Not to change it. Not to try to improve on it. Not to make it entertaining. But to proclaim the message of the king. That is your charge. To proclaim the message of the king. Without changing it. Without altering it. Without compromising it. But the unadulterated truth of the word. Well, what is that message of the king? He goes on to say, preach the word, the word, the Bible, the word of God. That is the message of the king. Paul has just told Timothy a chapter earlier that all scripture is God-breathed, inspired by God, and, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It is the Bible, Jesse, that God has called you to proclaim. This and this alone is His Word. He didn't call you to preach the latest article in Time magazine. He didn't call you even to preach Guidepost or some other book. He called you to preach His Word. Now, some preachers that want to take current events and current stories, there's a philosopher preaching that says you should preach stories. That's not of God. God says preach the Word. Preach His Word, the Bible. And it should be preached comprehensively and exhaustively. You must preach it systematically and comprehensively, Jesse. Preach the Word. You should go through passages of Scripture preaching the Word. You may take a whole book. Preach the Word comprehensively, systematically. That way you won't shy away from doctrines that you may not like or you might be uncomfortable with. But like the Karuks, you are to preach what the Bible says, not what you think it ought to say. Tragically, too many preachers are preaching their opinions rather than preaching the Word of God. We are seeing in our church in America today what I believe is a famine of biblical preaching. A famine of preaching the Word. Now, I didn't say there was a famine of preaching. There are guys standing up every Sunday. Right now, on this hour, throughout America, there are guys standing up what they call preaching, but they're not preaching the Bible. They're not preaching the Word. You would be amazed at how many times people come to me and say, Preacher, you know, we've been visiting around churches, but people aren't preaching the Word. They aren't preaching the Word. They're telling stories and, and, and relating this and that, but... They aren't opening up the Word of God and teaching us God's Word. Jesse, one of the greatest needs in America today, and it is only going to get more so, is to have a man who under the power of God will proclaim the Word of God to the people of God so that the voice of God is heard and the glory of God is seen and the Word of God is obeyed. That's what is needed today. That is God's charge to you, a young man. 
with every breath to preach His Word. Because it is the Word of God that God says will never return unto Him empty-handed without accomplishing what He wants it to accomplish. For it is the Word of God that is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. For it is the Word of God that is a very breathed-out Word of God. That is what you are to preach. His Word. Not only must you preach it comprehensively, Jesse, but you need to preach it continuously. Paul says, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Paul just says, preach it when it's convenient, when it's not convenient. That's what he's saying. Preach it when it's popular and when it's not popular. Preach it when it's welcome and when it is not welcome. You see, sometimes it's just not convenient to take a stand on the Word of God. Now, when society says it's okay, you say, hey, it's not a problem. Society says now that... Uh, that uh, it's okay and, 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 and it's proper for there to be an equality among the races that everybody should be considered to be equal. So it's not tough to preach on that now, is it? But in Philadelphia, Mississippi in 1969, it was a different story. I knew a preacher, white Presbyterian preacher, that in Philadelphia, Mississippi, in 1969, preached against segregation and preached integration. And he had a cross burned on his front lawn. He told me for the next two weeks, he sat out in his lawn chair with his shotgun every night. (laughs) But he did not flinch from preaching the truth of God's Word. It's not popular to preach against abortion. It's not popular now to preach against homosexual lifestyle, to preach against same-sex marriage, to preach against the exclusivism of the gospel, that there's no other way to be saved but through Jesus. This is not politically correct, but whether it is convenient or not, you're to preach it. Because we, the people of God, are people of conviction, not a people of convenience. And so God has called you to state and preach His Word in season and out when it will be welcomed and when it will not be welcomed. Then Paul goes on to give some more commands about preaching, Jesse. He says, reprove. Preachers are commanded to reprove when they preach. What does reprove mean? It means to correct. It means to convict. It means to find fault. We would in our day say it means to call somebody out about something they're doing that's wrong. It's to show a person their fault and hopefully they will come to repentance. That's interesting. This word was used in the medical field to talk about a surgeon who had performed surgery and yet now was applying the necessary medicine for the wound to heal. Now, you are going to be called on to perform spiritual surgery. And your scaffold is going to be the sharp edge of God's Word. Now, I've had surgery only a few times in my life, but it has not been comfortable. It has not been fun. It's hurt. And if you've ever had surgery, I know you had some pain associated with it somewhere. Surgery hurts. And we don't like pain. Well, spiritual surgery hurts too. 
And when you take the Word of God and you show people their sin and show people where they're wrong, it hurts. And people don't like it. They will get upset. As you say, they may leave the church. But God has called us to preach the Word. Reprove. And then he goes on to say, rebuke. This is also a command, to rebuke. What does rebuke mean? Well, it's not a whole lot different from reprove in the Greek, but there is one big difference. Usually to rebuke is to call somebody out, show them their fault, and they see it, and they repent. And that's to reprove. To rebuke means you call out their sin and they don't see it. It has no positive effect. In fact, just the opposite. They do leave the church sometimes. Noah preached and rebuked, but the people did not listen. A hundred years, he was a preacher of righteousness, but the people didn't listen. A preacher is commanded to rebuke the people for their sins and disobedience, Jesse, even if they do not agree with you, they must be told when they are transgressing God's Word. Now, the success of a pastor, of a preacher, is never determined by people's response. Never. If it were, Noah was a failure. If it were, Jeremiah was a failure. If it were, Isaiah was a failure. If it were, Ezekiel will be a failure. God told Ezekiel, I'm calling you to preach to a people that has a rebellious heart. And they are rebellious people. And they will not listen to the message. They will reject it. But when you have finished, they will say, a prophet has been among us. Now that, Jesse, is God's call. They may not accept the message. They may reject it. But by God, they should know a prophet has been among them. One has spoken the truth of God in their midst. So we're called on to rebuke. It's a command. Now that's a hard thing to do. Because we don't like people being upset. You know going into it. I know some folks aren't going to like I know that sometimes. I know when I get ready to say some things, I know that some of you are not going to like it. And some of you may get upset. But you know who i got to please, not you. i got to be faithful to the Word, and I've got to say it. But the tendency might be to shy away and not rebuke. But let me ask you this question. Can any preacher be faithful to the charge? and not rebuke. Now, Paul gave Timothy a little wisdom there, Jesse. And I think it is good, when you think about rebuking, to look at this wisdom. He says, Do not sharply rebuke an older man. Now, you've got to rebuke him, but you don't do it sharply. No, no, no. But rather appeal to him as a father. And the younger and younger man is a brother. The older women as mothers and the younger women as sisters in all purity. So 
There will be times you'll have to show people their sin, but you don't have to be mean. You should not be mean and harsh about it. Speak to an older man as you would your father. Speak to a younger man as your brother. To older women as your mother, if you have to rebuke, do so in love. Do so as gently as you can. But it must be done. And then he says, exhort. Exhort. All right? What does this mean? Well, exhort is kind of the idea of encouragement. You're not going to just always be reproving and rebuking people. There is that time for encouragement, to encourage the saints to grow and to serve the Lord and to rejoice in the Lord. There is that time of building up of the saints through the Word of God. You say, well, how do I know when to rebuke, when to reprove, and when to encourage? Let the Word of God direct you. If the passage is a rebuking passage, then rebuke. If the passage is an encouraging passage, then encourage. As you comprehensively and systematically preach through God's Word, the Holy Spirit has built a perfect balance in here of reproving and rebuking and encouraging. So as you preach through a book, the Holy Spirit's already built into that book the beautiful balance. So as you're preaching through, just follow the text. And do what the text indicates. So, the charge is to preach the Word, to preach it comprehensively, to preach it systematically, to preach it consistently, to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort. Well, what about the conditions of the charge, Jesse? First, he says there must be great patience. With all long suffering is what the Greek is. It means long-tempered, just the opposite of a short temper. Now, why does God tell a preacher to be slow to anger? (laughs) Because people are slow to see the truth sometimes, and even slower to change once they see the truth. And so we preachers got to have patience. We've got to give people time to see the truth and time for God to work in their lives and change their behavior. So you don't say it one time and then get all mad and upset and say, You crazy folks, you such a hard-headed group. No. You just keep preaching. You keep loving. You keep telling them what God says and pray that God will slowly but surely change their lives. Great patience. Next, he says, with instruction. With instruction. Jesse, this means teaching. That word for instruction is literally the word teaching. That means preaching is to be a teaching of God's Word. That means that your sermon must be understandable to the people. It must be logical so people can follow along. It must be practical, that they might be able to apply the Word in their lives. It needs to be genuine instruction. You are to instruct people in the truth of God's Word. That's why I provide outlines. That's why I do a PowerPoint. Because I want people to be instructed and taught in the Word of God. That's my call. That's my task. That's your call. Now, people may come away from your sermon and say, you know, I didn't like what he said. That's okay. They may come away from your sermon saying, I didn't agree with what he said. That's okay. They may come away from your sermon saying, I don't believe what he said. 
That's okay. But they should never come away from your sermon and say, I don't know what he said. <laughs> now, I have come away from sermons saying, what did he say? What was his point? I was trying to figure it out the whole time and couldn't. That should never be the case. Your sermons must be a logical, systematic, practical exposition of God's Word that has a point. And the people will go away and know what the point was. Preach the Word. Now Paul gives Timothy the cause for the charge. Why is it so important that his man preach the Word? Because people want to have their ears tickled. And Jesse, this is happening even more now than it ever has. In my 41 years of preaching, I see more now this desire to have their ears tickled. They want to accumulate for themselves teachers according to their own desires. Look at what God said in Jeremiah chapter 5. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. The priests rule on their own authority. And my people love it. They want lies. They don't want the truth. They want you to tickle their ears and tell them what they want to hear. They want to hear prosperity, not death to the self-life. They want to hear convenience, not sacrifice. The largest church in America is the one pastored by Joel Olstein, who does not preach sacrifice to self, death to self, but preaches you can have anything you want. You speak your fate into existence. You speak your reality. And folks are flocking out in the tens of thousands to hear that message. Because we live in a day where people want to have their ears Tickled Jesse. And the second cause for the charge is that people want lies and not the truth. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to lies. Isaiah chapter 30. Listen to these words. Who say to their seers, You must not see visions, and to the prophets, you must not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us pleasant words. Prophesy illusions. Get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Can you believe it? We're seeing that in our day to day as well. My dad was a deacon in the church for over 50 years. Uh, he raised three preachers. He was a man that, that believed the Bible to be God's Word. One day, as before I went into the ministry, we were talking, and he said, Son, I'll tell you the formula to stay in a church for 30 years. I said, well, what's that, Dad? He said, First, always let them out by 12 o'clock. He said, Son, I never heard a good... Bad, I never heard a bad short sermon, and I never heard a good long one. Now, he was kind of tug-in-cheek here, but there's more seriousness than we might want to believe. 
And he says, never preach anything except love and forgiveness and, and stuff that makes them feel good. And then visit them when they're in the hospital, bury them when they die, and then marry them when they need to be married. He said, if you'll do that, you can stay in any Baptist church for 30 years. And you can tell I haven't taken all of his advice to heart. Because he was tongue-in-cheek. But if all a man wants to do is have a comfortable place to hang his hat, then that's all he's got to do, Jesse. And the problem is, most Southern Baptist churches would be satisfied with that. But that's not what God has called you or any other pastor to do. We are to preach the Word in season and out when it's popular and when it's not, when it hurts and when it doesn't, we've got to be true to our Lord Jesus. A number of years ago, the British Weekly published this provocative letter. Dear Sir, it seems ministers feel their sermons are very important and spend a great deal of time preparing them. I've been attending church quite regularly for 30 years, and I've probably heard 3,000 sermons. To my consternation, I've discovered I cannot remember a single sermon. I wonder if a minister's time might be more profitably spent on something else. And that was published in the newspaper as a letter when people can write in. Well, for weeks after that, the editorial pages was bombarded with letters pro and con about this thing about preachers and their sermons and how much time they should spend. Until one letter came in that stopped all the rest of them. Dear sir, I've been married for 30 years. During that time, I have eaten 32,850 meals, mostly my wife's cooking. Suddenly, I have discovered I cannot remember the menu of one single meal. And yet, I have the distinct impression that without them, I would have starved to death long ago. People may not remember. I'd hate to say, y'all, what did I preach last week and see how many knew. But you faithfully preach the Word. And God will use that Word to feed the saints and help them to grow into spiritual maturity and in faithful service to the Lord. His primary call in your life Preach the Word. Let's pray.